Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. I'm Iris and I'm joining the studio here with Tan Hung and Devanan. Hi, everyone. Hey. Hey. Um, so that song we just heard was Baby by Jason, one of my favorite bands, um, and that's off their album Everybody Works. And the first song we heard was Thursday by Absopi Seksu, who apparently has broken up. I yeah. didn't know about this in 2013. That was five years ago, but okay. Yeah, in the in the courtyard, we were talking about how we both listened yeah. to them when we were in our teens or like early, early, early age. In the 2000s, yeah. yeah. In the 2000s, yeah, whenever that was for us. Yeah. Mm. Mm, yes, and we're listening to Queering the Air. I should also announce that um, every Sunday from 3 to 4 p.m., Bring you some radical and radical queer radio on 3CR Community Radio. And first, I'd like to start off with an acknowledgement of country. Um, this broadcast is over the land of the Kulin Nations. 3CR is held on the stolen lands um, in, of the Kulin Nations, the, the Wandri and Bunurong peoples. I'd like to acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. And I'd like to acknowledge. Um, that genocide is still continuing on these lands and colonization as a process is still ongoing. Um, and I'd like to, yeah, and I'd like to thank, so ending that acknowledgement country, I'd like to thank Encyclodalia as well for the previous show. Um, so we've got a bit of a packed show for you today. We have a bunch of reflections on some current conversations that come up pretty recently, plus we're going to re-review re- We'll be reviewing two films from the Melbourne Queer, Fist- Queer Film Festival later in the show. Um, but first, we're going to go on to the reflections. What have we been, we've been reflecting on this week? Um, Tan Hung, I think you had some reflections on acknowledgement of countries. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start. Um, so I guess I'd been hearing conversations and then also um, just seeing on Twitter, um, which is where I get all the interesting news um, about acknowledgement of country and I guess the tokenism that's mm, been happening around it. And um, so what's kind of I've been noticing is that people have been acknowledge- doing an acknowledgement to country and then usually um, for those who are like different LGBTIQ organisations um, and even individuals have been like adding or tacking on at the end I also acknowledge my LGBTIQ elders or whatever um, community that they identify with that is an Aboriginal, um, tacking that on at the end as well. And I think that um, that can, is kind of missing the point of what an acknowledgement of country means. It's not an acknowledgement of country and acknowledging your own, um, I don't know, sexuality or elder, uh, like cultural elders. It's it's purely for the point of acknowledging um, whose lands you're, you know, speaking on, you're living on and paying respect to those elders who have passed. So, yeah, I don't know what you all think about that, but that's something that I thought. Mm. Yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. think it's very disrespectful to kind of mimic. It's almost like become a tradition now to say, you know, to say, 
that this land originally belonged to the indigenous people um but it's really disrespectful to mimic that language and to appropriate it for yourself um and i think there needs to be some thought behind saying it before you actually kind of take it on yeah mm. yeah yeah definitely i think those points are really important and and needs to be made more when people are making are doing the tacking on thing and don't re- and just need to be told that it is offensive and it is like a problem. Definitely. And I think also um, acknowledgements of countries have become quite scripted. Like I, I really appreciate it when I hear someone do something different than the usual. Mm. I um, acknowledging past, present elders and, you know, the, the kind of generic mm. statement that we see floating around. Um, and I think that was Maybe earlier on when I first started hearing acknowledgement of country, which was um, mid-2000s, uh, that was when I first heard it. I had high school, actually, and, I'd, and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe they need a script to kind of, you know, get a lead of what how you could acknowledge country. But then I really loved it when people or different organisations would take it upon themselves to, I guess, make reference to what their position is, but not not taking up the space and being like I'm this person this person whatever I hold these identities but just kind of being like okay like in the context of radio maybe it's like you're talking about like the way um aboriginal storytellers are like the first storytellers and the first probably those who like would broadcast their stories um you know maybe contextualizing a bit in terms of the work you do and so I don't know I think those ones are a bit more meaningful because it doesn't sound as scripted hmm I agree. I think Yasmin um, Abdul Majid, um, she has this organization called Mumtaza, mm. and um, she had one of these conferences last year. And the acknowledgement of country was very interesting. She talked about how the civilization had lasted for thousands and thousands of years, and how it was mm. the oldest in the world. And there was so much more to it than just saying, "Okay, this is this is this is it." Mm. Um, and it it really it really clicked with the audience, and it really clicked with um, everyone on the panel as well. And it kind of really stuck to us. So I think making mm. it a bit more memorable um, and not just sticking it it's not not just sticking to a script is really important. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Cool. Mm. So so connecting this with another recent thing that's happened in the last week. Um, on the, the 8th of March, it was International Women's Day, and Celeste Little um, put out a piece on stolen wages that I believe you, like, read, Tanhan. Yeah, Yeah, so um, I guess an article that stood out for me was, yeah, something Celeste Little posted that I saw on her Twitter, and um, it was actually, it was something about the so it was a comment on the hashtag press for change, which was the global hashtag being used. And um, I can't remember where that hashtag emerged from, but she was kind of critiquing um, how it's not like International Women's Day isn't about like a uh, isn't about corporations or um, a brand or like this brand that you fixate on, but it's it's a call to action, and that's where it started from. It actually started from. Um, well, one of the first was like a bunch of socialists who were trying to fight for their uh, workers' rights as um, those who worked in the textile industry. Um, and But yeah, something she mentioned in that article, which I thought was really interesting, was um, she mentioned stolen wages and how um, 
yeah, how Aboriginal women who were taken away from their families during the Stolen Generation, how they, when they became like workers or like servants, I suppose, in um, in that context, like for at work, um, yeah, how they became like, in that kind of industry, they didn't have wages, like the right wages um, get paid to them and how that's still an issue that hasn't been resolved. And yeah, when I read that, I was like reminded of other aspects where um, I guess like something that was interest of me was like out workers who haven't like were paid like poor wages or not paid the right wages. So uh, it just made me think of other, I guess, like women who've worked, like immigrant women who've worked and haven't been paid um, accordingly, like throughout history here in Australia. Yeah. So like out workers, for those who don't know, uh, um, generally it was mostly women, like a lot of Vietnamese women worked as out workers where they worked in the textile industry, but they would work from home for large, um, I guess like clothing brands. And, um, it was really poor conditions and they'd work really long hours and they'd get paid like definitely way below the minimum wage. Um, Mm. Yeah, so it just reminded me of that, I suppose, and thinking about how lots of um, women work in in our history and still today work for wages way below the minimum wage. Um, And it might be because of their, you know, immigration status or, um, yeah, and I think that that comes into a big, and definitely race comes into it as well. So, yeah, that's something that came to mind. I'd like to touch on how um, a lot of panels and a lot of events mm. for International Women's Day particularly featured, sorry, exclusively featured just white women, um, mm. white middle class women. The the one that really stood out was the NGV one. Um, it had just four cisgendered white middle class women who were employed um, and it was very disconcerting and I think it very, I don't know if this was conscious or it was unconscious, but they really need to take... Um, more thought and um, more consideration before they plan these events because they are one of the main cultural institutions of Melbourne and they have a responsibility um, to be more intersectional and more diverse. Um, There were some events that did feature women from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of experiences, which I think is great, but I think Melbourne has moved away from the tokenism thing where they have one person of colour, one person Mm. who you know, who fits with the diversity label. But I think in order to achieve real change, we need to move beyond that as well um, and really talk about the diversity within people of colour or with people with intersecting personalities. And that discussion needs to start as soon as possible because I think we're still in that kind of sphere where we're just like, oh, we need more people of colour or we need more gender diverse people or we need people with more... Um, with disability of some sort. So needs to move forward. Mm. Yeah. Yes. And for anyone that's tuned in just now, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on your AM dial, digital radio or streaming at 3cr.org.au slash streaming. Um, I'm not sure. Did I say that right? Yeah, um, I think yeah. you did. Yeah, that's right. You oh, can God. stream in via that mode. <laughs> Yeah, touching on disappointments for International Women's Day, um, I still find, I feel like every year it's like we still have this um, this brand of 
quite reactionary feminism, this trans-exclusionary and sex worker-exclusionary feminism, which pretty much often goes together. It's just, like, got too much prominence and legitimacy, and we still see this policing of what work women can do or what um, what genders women can have. They can only be cis, apparently. So I, I'm... In terms of some of the stuff I experienced on International Women's Day, Women's Day, it was quite disappointing. Um, and, yeah, even though, like, feminism has always had sex workers, always had trans women and gender non-conforming people, we still have, like, a lot of barriers in terms of having a platform, even on the rally. It's disappointing. At the end of the rally on International Women's Day, that the organisers wouldn't let anyone from either of those communities um, speak. Um, so that was a bit of a... And I suppose, yeah, then we... I suppose, yeah, a lot, a lot of what we're touching on at the moment is, like, a critique of mainstream feminism, mainstream, mm-hmm. like, white feminism. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, and I definitely feel like <clears throat> the... I guess, like, uh, a... Yeah, a couple of years ago, I... Oh, my gosh, I can't believe a couple of years ago. I ran... Um, I moderated a panel on feminism and race for Shashel FM, which doesn't exist anymore. But at the time, I oh, was... Oh, yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know it was you. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah go yeah. on. <laughs> so um, that was a couple of years ago. And I just remember, like, even organising it on the organising side. Like, I... Um, yeah, I felt like I had to ask the organisers to do a bit more than what I thought was should have been quite basic things, like basic 101 things. Um, yeah, so that was actually quite challenging in itself. And the issue with those panels and, yeah, the panels that I would run around like similar topics, like whether it be feminism or race, it was like there was always just like one it's like there's this token person, a token black person, mm. a token, you know, a, a token trans person. Like, it's just like, why is there only one person? Why can't mm. it just be like a whole panel on, say, Aboriginal feminism or like trans feminism? And, you know, kind mm. of like just fleshing that out and actually having not just one conversation that you have, you drop like once a year or like once every few months, but actually having a real in-depth dialogue that continues over time because I feel like when things are just put out like that it's like it has no room to grow it just kind of it's like oh food for thought and people maybe you know get excited about it but then where does it go from there absolutely I'd very quickly like to add that at the immigration museum this is disappointing Mm. they have this event called women in media Mm. and it was $89 for a ticket but it was a networking event and you know they had people from um Australia, the Australian newspaper, it's called the Australian, I think. Uh, they had um, someone from Vogue. They had someone from um, News Reporter. Okay. Um, and yeah, so these are all quite big institutions. And I mm. was thinking that I, even though I'm employed, I wouldn't be able to afford, I'm not going to pay $89 yeah. for one night of networking. That's very exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they need to really think about how they can accommodate more people who can't, who want to be, who want to work in media and who, 
and and media needs their voices how they can accommodate them having sliding scales having concession a concession payment a wage uh, on wage payment which i think a lot of um community grass led groups have already adopted um and you know because i think the people who would have benefited from an event like that would be people who are interested in media unemployed um or just starting out or people who yeah. are marginalized um but really still want to work in media um another thing that I'd very quickly like to add is that there were lots of events based around employment and STEM and I think mm. again it's excluding women like um I know a lot of immigrant w- women can't actually start working um because they have large families or because mm. you know from a young age they it's been told to them that it's culturally unacceptable or because they've just moved to a new country and they can't speak the language or they just don't have the qualifications because Australia loves qualifications mm. um another thing is a lot of refugee women can't work as well even if if they're out of detention um so i think this attitude of we will have women's events around employment needs to change as soon as possible as well because it's very classist yeah definitely charging yeah. $89 for to enter into like something like networking which is, is super super classist and especially in like the context of media which mm. i feel like is already has this hierarchy around it around who gets to say what and who gets a voice. Absolutely. And held in the Immigration Museum. That's the most mm, embarrassing I part, know. you know. Oh gosh. It needs to be on them. Really. <laughs> Very embarrassing. But yeah. Mm. The Immigration Museum, yeah, it also like has a lot of important stuff there. So that's like disappointing because the Immigration Museum is like yeah, has a lot of important history in it. Yeah. Um and thinking about immigration and immigration museum, did you have do you have things to talk about in terms of visa changes? Yeah, the there's a new um, two new visa streams, the TSS um, streams. So you have short-term visa and then you have a longer-term visa. And I think this is really problematic. It's not been talked about in mainstream media because it's excluding a lot of people that do want to come into this country, that do really want to contribute. And it has really unrealistic expectations, like three years of work experience, even though if you're an international student, you're only given a two-year visa to work with. Um, they have to do a labor market test to prove that you're kind of the only person within the existing market that can do the job. The company needs to have a one million turnover, which excludes a lot of people working for small businesses or even startups, mm. because I don't think they have that kind of money to start off with. Um, and on top of that, a lot of corporations can't give people these visas. Um, the government has kind of blocked them or, you know, they just don't want to deal with any trouble like this. Um, so we need to think about how we can attract people with all with a variety of skill sets and really make pathways so that it's easy for them to contribute to this society because that's what a lot of immigrants have done they mm. haven't stolen people jobs and taken them into like a job dungeon or something um but yeah <laughs> mm. yes so you're listening to the 3cr community radio this is queering the air featuring tanhang devana and myself iris and we're going to go to a track now um, by the Internet Girl featuring Keitranada. You're tuned into Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio, and I'm in the studio with Devana and Tan Hung, and I'm Iris. So, the next part of the show, we're going to review two films from the Queer Film Festival. But first, I'll just back announce those two songs. That was. Um, Girl featuring Kay Trinada by the internet. That was the first song. That was followed by Cut Your Bangs by Girlpool. Um, 
So. So, um, so Melbourne Queer Film Festival um, is on again this year from March 15th till the 26th um, of March. So that's coming up. I think it's starting this upcoming week is opening night. And um, we got to review two films that will be part of the program, which we're really excited to talk about. So the first one that we watched was Signature Move. So that's directed by Jennifer Reader. And just a little bit about the film before we go on to discuss it. So um, Signature Move is, um, so I'll just read the bio of it. As a Pakistani Muslim lesbian living in Chicago, uh, Zanab played by, oh my gosh, I, I'm not even going to attempt to say it. Do you know? Yeah, let me try. Yeah. You want to try? Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, Fazia Mirza? Yeah, oh, did you Fazia just say that? Fazia Mirza? Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Davina. Um, so, Fazia Mirza is out and proud to everyone except her newly moved-in mother. When artfully dodging her mother's attempts to find her husband becomes too much, Zanab copes by taking up lucha-style ret- uh, wrestling. Her life climbs to the turnbuckle when she meets Alma, a Latina bookstore owner, and the two fall head over heels into bed and relationship drama. With the spirit and spunk of the 90s new queer cinema, Signature Move revitalizes the classic lesbian rom-com by crossing cultures and body slamming its way into your heart. So, what do we all think about it? Um... Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm just absorb I'm absorbing that that synopsis that was, that the queer festival wrote. Mm. Mm. I think like I kind of liked the quirkiness and awkwardness in the film. Sometimes it didn't work and I was just the production I mean, I suppose there's different production levels of different films and that was a part of this film and I, in some of the narratives, in terms of that boxing thing that came up, that that part of it, I didn't always, I wasn't always very, I didn't always like gel with the rest of the story very well to me. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, you could. I think the film had a lot of stereotypes. Um, for example, having, you know, that best friend or that person you can confide in, that's something that happens in a lot of romantic films. Yeah, and I found rom-coms that especially. Di- <laughs> exactly, and I found that difficult to kind of... I was cringing, actually. Mm. Um, but there was there were some really important cultural elements which I really liked. Um, the first thing was the, um, the mother-daughter relationships. There was one with Alma and her mom, and there was one with Zainab and her mom. And they kind of, they kind of mirrored, mirrored each other, but they were also quite different... Um, Zainab and her mom had a very distant had like, had, had kind of war be- be- between them actually it felt like they weren't communicating honestly to each other mm. um, I think Zainab later on in the film kind of labels it as dysfunctional um, but I think what I found interesting in that dynamic was that Zainab like all South Asian women were being was being the, the caretaker, the companion the chef um, mm. she was being a very dutiful, responsible daughter and really kind of um, enmeshed in this act of servitude while with Alma and her mom it was it was very fun it was happy it was very you know it was te- there's a lot of teasing going on which I really liked mm. um, another thing that I liked about the movie was there was no dominant male character 
um, you had these very strong female leads um, and supporting characters and they really played off each other really well and it just showed the different power dynamics within female relationships and how they're very different to the relationships you would have with a man um, that's another thing I liked another another thing um, about the story was lesbian identity and how in mm. South Asian culture though you have the Hajras um, lesbian identity it doesn't have its niche so it's still being I I feel negotiated and renegotiated and renegotiated constantly. Um, and at one point, Zainab talks about how she needs to take her own path, which I really, really, really liked because it's all about how the Western narrative, the dominant Western narrative, which I feel Alma has confi- uh, conformed to, doesn't really exist as an option for Zainab. There are so many more intersections she needs to consider, like her career, her mom, the fact that her dad has died. Um, also, her mom wants her to conform to this dominant heterosexual narrative to attain happiness. And I really mm. like that she fights back against it and saying, no, this is my path. I'll carve my own niche and I'll do it my own way, which I found to be really interesting. Um, yeah, Tanha. Yeah, I think that is very interesting, like her, the way she tries to achieve happiness. At first, it seems like, oh, no, I really, like, yeah, she's conflicted on how to incorporate her, her mother into that narrative, mm. whereas um, Alma seems like she's completely resolved. Like, she's like, oh, I can be friends with my mom and I can talk about sex and all these things mm. to her mom and it's totally fine, but... Uh, Zainab definitely doesn't have that kind of relationship Mm. but I definitely don't think that the film paints it in a way where oh this is a bad relationship or a healthy relationship this is an unhealthy relationship versus a healthy relationship I think it definitely says like this is a this is the reality for a lot of like South Asians or like even those there were many things that I resonated with um as well so I guess it's like on a broader scale, like um, like POC families and um, how we relate to our mothers and like the complexity of navigating our sexuality and how it's not separate from race or family mm. and it can be very tied up with that. Um, but I really love how, yeah, the lead actor, she kind of, at, at first it's like, oh, how is she going to take take this into, how is she going to resolve it with her mum? Is she going to resolve it? But you do see that, you know, the mum actually meets her halfway and I think that's really special um, when she does in that moment. And I think it's also revealed, like, leading up to the moment she, you know, I kind of resolves something with her daughter, the scenes of, like, her applying makeup. Mm. I think those were like, so beautiful. I, I really love seeing um, mm. people applying makeup on because I think it's just such an intimate process and for especially for someone mm. to take a video of it or, like, a photo of it. I think we're just we're let into like a snippet into her life where um, like a very private life that her daughter doesn't see. Mm. And it's like only like us as the film, like film viewers see. So I I think that's like, it adds something to like, it adds more understanding to her life or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Very quickly add something, not about the makeup thing, Mm. but I think there was a big difference in the way, um, Zainab and Alma were socializing like um, mm. Alma wanted to keep Zainab very separate from her family while mm. Zainab was like come meet my mom come have lunch watch tv with us mm. and I found that really interesting because in a western society queer or normative couples kind of remove themselves and cocoon themselves from the rest of the family mm. and from the rest of the world when they fall in love that that is what the ideal romantic notion whereas I feel like in a South Asian or Asian in general communities it's more about 
being interconnected when you fall in love romance is about bringing someone into your already established life and feeling more interconnected within your society um which i which is something that i've always I, been talking about yeah, i've yeah. always been I, complaining i resonate with that too it's like you're not just dating you're not just dating me you're dating my family too yeah, exactly there's so many people in the family like the aunties and the uncles and right. the, the, the daughters of the aunties and the uncles and i really like that and i think yeah. even at the conclusion we're not going to reveal what happens in the in the end i feel like zainab establishes a very clear position where her mom who she refers to her as her person yeah. um is is the dominant um character in her life um mm. and is what everything including her love life centers around mm. so yeah mm. yeah and one point that also came to mind even though this film like the next film we're going to talk about it might have predominantly women or gender diverse characters um as well um there's also like the policing of womanhood that happens in terms of this like so men are kind of present even though they're not really present in this film in terms of i need to marry a man or you can't have muscles you need to attract a man Mm, yeah so that's like a yeah a theme i got from this film Mm. And I, yeah, I definitely mm. think that's important to see because that's like an invisible aspect to the film, but it's very much there. And that kind of like those patriarchal ideas or these ideas of masculinity that, um, you know, is dangerous to subscribe to or um, or that should be there in your life. And yeah, mm. is that kind of what you're you're thinking, Iris? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so that film you can catch at Melbourne Queer Film Festival on Friday the 16th of March or Monday the 19th of March. And I'm pretty sure you can buy tickets now, so you can head to their website. Cool. So the next film we all watched is Saturday Church. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So Saturday Church um, was directed by Damon Cardassus, and it's a story about a person named... Ulysses, um, who is a gender non-conforming New York teen who is grieving the loss of their father. Ostracized at school, Ulysses is taken in by a group of um, trans youth and is introduced to the Saturday Church, a drop-in centre for at-risk queer teens. The safe house is run by street smart um, Joan, who's played by Kate Bornstein and also hosts regular voguing dance-offs. Drawn to the vibrant ballroom scene, Ulysses Ulysses begins to find a voice and even romance. Mm. What did you think, Iris? Um, I think I was less engaged in this film, maybe partly because of tiredness. It was like a much more well-produced film, and I guess the acting was less uneven than the other film. Um, and it was quite a nice like coming out, exploring sort of gender and sexuality sort of narrative. Some parts of the musical elements of it, I thought felt a bit forced and cliche and didn't like quite work for me mm. but also the music was was good to have those musical elements in, in, in this film and there was lots of like cute moments in it mm-hmm. dancing and it was really like smooth and mm-hmm. like pretty like good to watch in that aspect yeah and mm, did you have something to comment on the 
the the name of the main character. Yeah. So Ulysses, um, as Iris and Tanhan and I talked about, um, is obviously from the the famous novel that James Joyce wrote about called Ulysses, which was originally based on um, the Odyssey by Homer, um, which featured the main character Odysseus, um, who after the Trojan War had to you know had to sail back home with his with his crew um and while he was trying to get home he was he met all these obstacles and he was detained by this woman i think her name was calypso yes by calypso and he had to battle all these monsters while back home that you know he had a wife and a child penelope and she was warding off suitors and she had to lead the country and look after her, his son um and it's all about the journey to 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 towards home but it's also a journey of transformation both for his wife and for himself and it's also also about becoming your true self and kind of the growth that happens by encountering difficult situations and i think that was really mirrored um in the film and ulysses itself is a very interesting name and at the end we we really do see the character you know dressed up to perform and mm, we we see them right. coming to their true self um and in a very empowered self kind of like Odysseus at the end of the Odyssey um and his mom as well it was a journey of acceptance for her it was a journey of um discarding her her prejudices her, inter- her internalized um transphobia and kind of really understanding that if she was to maintain this relationship with a child she needs to kind of discard them really move forward with unconditional love. So I found that really interesting, those parallels. I'd like to very quickly touch on the subject of manhood, which was very dominant mm. in the story. Yeah. There was a very um, <clears throat> jarring scene where the character was speaking with their Justice's father and it was all about, you need to become a man, um, you're going to leave this family. And I found that to be quite uncomfortable. With Auntie, Aunt Rosa, mm. that's him. Yeah, yeah mm. absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, do you want to go on about it? No, that's it, it, just the dominance of manhood. Um. Yeah, that was definitely present. And also in terms of, like, remembering, I don't know, the scene where they remember their um, deceased father, where they watch the video. Mm. I think that was was something that stood out for me. I was like, I wonder what he, what role he would have played in, uh, I guess, like, his kid's life. Because it seems like a really... um, I don't know, a very pure moment where they're playing piano together and it's like I couldn't quite tell, you know, what kind of masculinity he was perhaps um, projecting or, like, putting, like, tr- like passing on to mm. Elysius. Um, yeah, and, and also, like, having the little... His little brother kind of absorb that too. So, yeah, I think it, I think it was a very... Um, I mean, aside from that, it was a very interesting mix of how to like deal with grief and then also um aspects of like um black femininity and black masculinity and just kind of like insights into that and um I guess more of like yeah I guess like the transformation side was very was very interesting too I mean it it sounds when I read the blurb I'm like oh this sounds like a typical you know coming of age kind of story Mm. but there were so many parts of it that I was like when I was watching it last and I was like, yes, I'm so happy for you. And I just felt like mm. this adrenaline that I was like, you, you know, you, you're going through all this turmoil, but actually you're also going through a lot of transformation. Yeah, there were there was hyper masculinity, but there was also hyper femi- femininity in a mm-hmm. way with Anne Rose, who was this yes. strong black woman who was mm-hmm. enforcing all these rules. She was just very uh, dominant. She was very um, angry. Yes. It, was, it almost felt like she was a stereotyped, stereotypical villain 
Mm. Um, it played into that trope a lot. But at the same time, you also had the sister, um, the sisterhood between the trans youth, which I really, really yeah. liked. Mm. Um, you know, just putting on the lipstick, like you said, again, makeup. That was a nice intimate moment where I felt mm. Ulysses really kind of, kind of clicked in. This is maybe who I should be. This is who I could be um, in the future. I really love that kind of, that that foil to the main, you know, the polarized masculinity and the polarized feminization of black women yeah mm. iris do you have any other thoughts on it mm, yeah sometimes the like like focus on femininity of like of femme trans and gender diverse people can be like overdone in films and like the over focus on putting on makeup and stuff is can be a tired trope and at times i think it was like too there's too much of that in this film perhaps mm. um yeah, because sometimes it just is about catering to what people like. This idea of like trans people as artifice as like putting on these things and not mm. as as being artificial. Mm. Yeah, those are definitely good points, and especially like with the idea of makeup as well, because I think the um, yeah, especially in like yeah, I wonder how that fits in with I guess the New York um, voguing scene and that kind of history as well of, like, voguing and makeup and dress. Um, and I guess, it, like, now today, I guess the appropriation of that kind of culture as well is seen as, like, this is the culture that either, like, white people want to um, prescribe to. Mm-hmm. So I think those are, like, it's an interesting, like, it's great to have more movies about like the voguing scene and like the trans history of it but then also thinking about how um i feel like it comes at a kind of a good time to think about how we appropriate um american cultural like trans history and yeah absolutely another thing i was concerned about was how um within the film like they didn't have anyone who's trans and who was kind of in the upper echelons of their career, if that makes sense. Like, they were all kind of, um, like, they were, you know, with the Saturday church or... Mm. I found that a bit disconcerting and I would love to see more representations of trans people within career paths as well, Mm. as not always, you know, having to go and go to these outreach programs. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Unless that's just, like, the bleak reality of it, It, like, in the context of New York or something. But, yeah, totally. But there are people, mm. there are trans people who work, for example, at ABC, and I have have seen that. Yeah. And I would love to see, like, a different narrative to the one that's always Mm. dominant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Different narrative to the one that's dominant, do you mean? One where they um, represent trans people in a very empowered way, where they're kind of running you know yeah a career i'd love that yeah yeah i think it's also um i guess important to recognize like how like forms of work that might not be like high you know high paying or whatever are like still valuable forms of work for whatever person like and then there's also like choice in there like whether that's doing mm. like sex work yeah. um yeah and i think those things are like equally as important and like um you know, like, there's no doubt that someone could feel and would feel empowered by doing sex work as a trans person or as a person of colour or whatnot. And it's not always, like, mm. about, like, oh, I have to do this because this is the only job. Mm. Yeah, it could be, like, mm. I'm doing this because I want to do this. Yeah. yeah. But I also have a plethora of other options as well. 
Yeah, I think that's important to recognize that there are other like other forms of work, but I think it's like valuing mm. all kinds of work. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Equal mm. value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a the tension with a, like a hyper focus on poverty, sort of a hyper focus mm. gaze on poverty, but the reality is like, um, like um, the vast section of trans people experience like significant downward mobility and have less options, and have to work in more marginalized jobs and and live more precarious lives. So, so there's like different tensions between. Like, you can have a film with a trans person who makes it in terms of a career thing but the vast majority of people do not so i guess like Mm. we can have different sorts of films that focus on different things um but yeah Mm, for sure so you can um catch that film at melbourne queer film festival on sunday the 18th of march and saturday the 24th of march so just head to mqff's website Yep, and you're, you're listening to Karina out on 3CR Community Radio and we're almost at the end of the show. But I'm just going to give a, sh- a shout-out to um, anyone that's interested in performing or exhibiting at the Myri- Myriad Collective, which is a trans and gender diverse oh, cool. um, it's like performance and art collective that do events once or twice a year. And they've just, they're putting a collab for the next thing, which is called transpire and mm-hmm. submissions close at next on friday the 18th i think oh no exhibition uh, i think it closes next week um mm-hmm. that check out myriad collective online and you should be able to find a link and i can put a link to myriad collective in in the podcast as well that's um, awesome so excited for Myriad. they're a great collective so definitely check them out mm-hmm. yeah so thanks for listening, everyone. You can find Queering the Air on Facebook and you can also email us at queeringtheair at gmail.com. And you can you can tune in next week from 3 to 4 p.m. Bye. Yay, awesome. For now. Thanks. Bye.